on my knees, I wouldn't do that song. <laughs> they asked me nicely, and so I complied. 2 Kings chapter 5, if you'd like to follow along this morning, I hope you will. Uh, interesting story, a good bad guy and a bad good guy in chapter 5 of 2 Kings, and, and we'll see what the difference that makes, what, what it means. Uh, but ultimately, it says this, God accepts sinners no matter what they've done. You can't be so bad that God will not save you. You can't be so bad that Jesus will not uh, forgive you or that he did not pay for your sins. Uh, but God expects his children to behave themselves. <laughs> he expects us to be good, to be holy. And, and so is this a double standard? Are we playing on some kind of an uneven playing field? It, it doesn't sound fair. And, and today we'll see uh, maybe... Uh, an explanation to that. We'll see one story that shows what God expects of sinners, another story of what he expects of a saint, all in this one chapter, and maybe it will help answer that question. So first, verses 5, uh, chapter 5, uh, 1 through 14, is the story of Naaman, or old Naaman. The song says, old Naaman went down to the river to dip, and then you dip, except I don't. So <laughs> I only dip other people anymore. So <laughs> uh, verses 1 through 3, we have the setup to this story. Naaman, Commander of the army of the king of Syria was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. So we have this, this setup. First of all, there's war between Syria and Israel. And, and I thought, you know, because there's, there's lots of wars recorded in the books of 1st and 2nd Kings and this really isn't one of them. It, it, does, it seems to be more like a border skirmish than a full-blown war, something like that. Uh, because later in this, in this same story we find where the king of Israel thinks the king of Syria is using this as an excuse to set, start a war. So there's not big open warfare going on. Uh, but during one of these skirmishes, this Israelite girl was taken captive and she was made a servant, right? And made a servant to Naaman's wife. So he, he you know, among the captives, there's this girl. He says, hey, my wife could use a girl like her. He brings her home, says, here, honey, I brought you a gift, you know, and, and, and gives her this servant girl. And Naaman himself was a great man with a big problem because he had gained victory for Syria. He was a man of valor. He was a man of, of, of leadership. And, 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 you know, some people just rise, you know, to, to those powers uh, because of they, they've got those qualities that put them in that place. And he's one of these guys. But he's got this problem because he is a leper. Now, he is not an, is a leper in Israel. He is a leper in Syria. So it didn't carry all the, the religious baggage that it carried in, in Israel. But it's still, that, that is a huge issue. It is a, an unpleasant, uh, un, unattractive, incurable disease, right? And, and this little Israelite girl who's been taken captive, what a sweetheart. You know, she's worth a sermon just on herself because she could be bitter. She could be angry. She could be saying, ha, God is punishing you, you Syrian general, you. You know, you took me captive. Ha, ha, ha. You know, she could have done all sorts of things in, in, you know, in your face, Naaman. Uh, but instead, no bitterness, no complaining. She just goes to her little, her, 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 master, her mistress, Naaman's mother, and she says, oh, you know, if he was in Israel, he could see the prophet. The prophet would heal him. And you can just see this girl in all sincerity and goodness and sweetness saying, you know, this could be done if he was there. And, and, and you see this nice little girl going with that. And, and Naaman gets the message from his wife and he says, 
Let's go for it, right? Verses 4 through 8. So Naaman went and said to his lord, uh, thus, so, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten, ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to cure a man of leprosy? Only consider, see how he is seeking, to, seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had turned his, torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him, know, let him come now to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So he goes to Elijah for, Elisha for help, and he doesn't go empty-handed. He brings with him money. And so we read these numbers, this many shekels, this many talents. And we go, I don't know. So I, I, did, I got on the computer, I got in my little book, and I did the math, okay, just so you can have a handle on what he sent. So 10 talents of silver. The Old Testament talent was 75.6 pounds, right? So uh, 10 talents of silver is 756 pounds of silver. Okay, silver as of Friday was $16.36 an ounce, comes out to $197,890.56. That's the silver. Now, 6,000 shekels of gold, an Old Testament shekel was four-tenths of an ounce, means two and a half shekels to one ounce. 6,000 of those, uh, when you take the ounces, you, you do the math, gold today is 1,003, as of Friday, I should say, $1,333.16 an ounce. Uh, 10,000, 6,000 shekels of gold comes out to $3,199,584, and I didn't write down the cents. I, yeah, so I don't, and I don't know how you put a value on the clothing. It's like, why do they mention 10 sets of clothing? You know, let's throw in a hundred bucks and call it even. I, you know, whatever it was, the, the, this was these clo this clothing was also it was of great enough value to bother being mentioned in the realm of three point four million dollars. So let's just round it off at a value today of three and a half million dollars that they sent Naaman with. You go, that's a lot of money to see a doctor. Well, not not today, it's not. But, <laughs> but but you know what? Here's where the king of Assyria, because it's actually a very small amount to wage to start a war, <laughs> right? If you want to start a war, it's a pretty small investment. To heal a person, it's a huge investment. Uh, but the point being, this is a significant amount of money that they sent. This is a tremendous reward. And Naaman, you know, the little girl says he could go to the prophet and be healed. Naaman is, is either ignorant enough or, or just un unaware of how things work in Israel, that instead of going looking for the prophet, he goes to the king. You know, in most countries, especially in ancient times, to, to be in that land was to be in that religion. And that land had its gods. And, and so it's kind of like today, if you go to India, Hinduism is the religion of India. Except we know there's lots of Muslims there and lots of Christians there, but still, for the most part, it's an Indian or a Hindu nation. And, and most, in that time, all, everybody thought that way, including God's people, Israel, the God was Yahweh. And so that's how they thought. So he just went to the king, thinking he was going, by going to the king, he was going to the religious power. But it didn't work that way because the king was an ungodly man. And the king, he says, he says to the king, heal me of my leprosy. And here's three and a half million dollars, heal me of my leprosy. And the king looks at him. And he goes, oh no, this is serious. 
This is serious. He's bringing all this money. He's, he's, he's doing everything he's, he thinks he's supposed to do. He's trying to start a war because he knows I can't give him his request and he'll be able to lay this against me. And so the king tears his clothes. He thinks it's going to be war. And Elisha sends a message. Somehow he hears. Elisha knows what's going on. He sends a message to the king. No problem. Don't worry about it. Just send him to see me. Okay, so now we run into the part where it becomes a trouble, a problem for Naaman. Verses 9 through uh, 14. Actually, I'll stop before we get to verse 14. Uh, but when Elisha, the man of God, heard, that's verse 8, that the king had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Don't you know, or send him to me, send him now to me, that he may know that there's a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Elisha insulted his pride. Elisha insulted his pride. Elisha himself did not even go out to meet him. Right? He sent a servant out to him. Here comes the second greatest man in the land of Syria, or at least the greatest military leader in the land of, of Syria. Here comes this great man who made the king scared. Right? The king tore his clothes, and Elisha said, he's in the house, and I don't think his house was very big, and he's reading the paper or something, doesn't want to be disturbed, and he says, hey, go out and tell him to dunk himself in the river seven times, he'll be fine. Right? And, and uh, Naaman's out there, and he goes, what? Who does he think he's talking to? I could, if I wanted to dip in a river, if I wanted to take a bath, I could take baths in better rivers than they have in Israel. They got that stinking little Jordan River. I could bathe in the Abana. I don't know what the Abana is. I could bathe in the Farpar. I don't know anything about the Farpar either. Sounds like something off a of Shrek, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but but he, says, he says, I won't do that. I, I won't do that. His, his pride was insulted. And his servants, you know, what wonderful servants he has uh, because he leaves angry. He's not used to being treated like this. He doesn't want to be told this. But his servants come up to him and they say, uh, uh, find the right place. Uh, but his servants came near and said to him, my father. It, now, this is the way the, new, uh, the English Standard Version says it. It is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Now, most of your Bibles are going to say, if he had asked you to do something great, would you not do it? Right? This one translated, he is, is, is a great word. Will you not do it? I, I think the other one makes more sense. I think you know, this is in the realm of translations, and it's hard to say. But because it makes more sense to me, they say, if he had asked you to do some great thing, you'd have done that. You know, if he asked you to slay the dragon, rescue the princess, you know, do whatever other great thing, you'd have done the great thing. So why not do the simple thing? Why not do something easy? And it makes sense because if Naaman had the idea that if only he could do something to earn it, then it would mean something. But he's not given anything to earn. He's giving something humble to do. He's giving something that offends his sense of pride. He's giving something that's difficult. And he's going to look... It's hard to do simple things sometimes when you want to look good. And Naaman is a great man. A great man doesn't want to look foolish. Think about if he'd asked him to do some great thing, he would have looked great in accomplishing the great thing. And it would have been a, a, a tribute to him. But, but he has to battle with his pride. Think about this. 
Think if someone tells you, you know, if you go dip seven times in the river and, and you'll come up clean from whatever it is that ails you. And, and here's the thought I'm thinking. People are going to see me dipping in this river. And what if it doesn't work? <laughs> I'm going to look like an idiot. Everybody's going to mock me. My servants right now, they think I'm a great man. But boy, will they go home and tell stories about me. Do you believe what he did? He dips in the river seven times. He thought that was going to clean him. What an idiot, right? Can you just see this going through his mind and thinking through these things? What a battle with pride. Could he maybe do this when no one's looking? Think about that. You know, Romans 10, the, the, we're in the Old Testament. Let's slip to Romans 10 for a minute. And... Uh, you know, Romans 10, 9, and 10, you might be familiar with this passage enough that, that you don't need to look it up, but I'm also going to include Romans 10, verse 11, which nobody memorizes. <laughs> okay, Romans 10, 9, and 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And this is a difficult passage. It's something that we often struggle over, I think, because we're saying, is this a work that is required of salvation? I think it is t teaching about the significance of saying it, of making it public, of not hiding the decision for Christ you make. If you make a decision for Christ, but you decide not to tell somebody about it, I question that you have actually made a decision for Christ. Because to come to Christ, you, know what you, have? you have to humble yourself. You have to admit it is him, not you. You have to admit it is what he has done, and you are giving him the credit for, for what he has done in your life. And it is a difficult thing to do. And I think this verse explains what's going on, and especially if you look at verse 11. After it says, for with the heart one believes is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Well, and I, Some people talk about, you know, they come to Christ and they can't wait to go tell everybody. I, went to, I came to Christ and because I have this pride thing, the hard part for me was telling people. I had been gloating over the Christians that I had beaten in debates. I thought they were idiots. I thought they were stupid. I thought they were foolish. And now I had to admit they were right <laughs> to people who knew I was like that, right? It was hard for me. Uh, but I, but, but I for, for somehow it came out of my mouth. You know, I, I give, give God the glory for this. <laughs> uh, but if I had not, I would have hidden this. I would have, let, I would have been ashamed. What's he say? Whoever does not, or whoever... Uh, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And it's funny how this shame thing works. You risk embarrassment of people knowing you've made this decision for Christ. Now, speaking to people who have made this decision for Christ, is, 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 is it something you're ashamed of? You go, no, I'm not. Of course not. And that's the reality of it, is we fear we'll be ashamed. We fear we'll be embarrassed. And the reality is, no, I'm not ashamed. It's funny. I never have been ashamed. You know, it doesn't work that way. The decision works. Well, Naaman, he, this verse hadn't been written yet. And if it had been written, he wouldn't have read it, right? And, and so he is dealing with this issue. But the end result was, because he won his battle with pride, he submitted to what the prophet said. He yielded himself. He went in. He dipped seven times. <laughs> was that seven or six? Seven? Okay. I lost count. Right? Just, just picture yourself. You know, I, I, I can't, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> uh, it. It's not pride. It's knees. 
<laughs> There's a difference. Uh, he's, uh, he did it, and he came up clean. And, and then verses 15 to 19, I just like this. He says, thank you, have some money. Uh, appreciate what you did for me. Got to go back to uh, 2 Kings verse, or chapter 5. Uh, starting at verse 15. Uh, let's see. Uh, verse 14, so he went down and dipped himself uh, seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know that there is a God, there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, apparently now Elijah came out, Elisha came out to talk to him. I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given your servant two mule loads of earth. He goes through this story explaining how he's going to have to go in the temple. He doesn't mean it. He knows there's one God. Elisha lets him off the hook. Uh, and finally, in verse 19, Elisha says to him, Go in peace. But when Naaman had gone a short distance, and right in the middle of verse 19, we have this change of pace. And, and so he says, Here, have some money. Don't want your money. Go in peace. Everything will be good. And then we run it. So that's the good, bad guy. You know, there is one struggle a person has. I don't care what sins you, you deal with, what sins have plagued you, what your areas of temptation are. There's one sin you have to deal with in coming to Christ, and that is pride. Naaman dealt with it. He came to God. Christ was not born yet. Uh, he, and, and he did that. Now Gehazi has come to follow God before. Funny thing, it doesn't mean we don't have sins and temptations to deal with. And Gehazi has his battle. Naaman had his battle with pride and he won. Grateful that he had good servants with him. Gehazi had a battle with greed. And he's going to lose his battle. Okay, so Gehazi is, and I don't know that I'm pronouncing it right. In fact, I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing it wrong. Gehazi is uh, Elisha's servant, right? So, verse 19, he said to him, go in peace. But when Naaman had gone to, from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this Naaman the Syrian and not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman, and when Naaman had gone, saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master sent me to say, uh, There have just now come from me, from the hill country of Ephraim, two young men of the sons of the prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And Naaman said, Be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver in large bag, or in two bags and two changes of clothing and laid them on two servants. And they carried them before Gehazi. When he came to the hill, he took them out of their hand, put them in the house, and he sent them in away, and they departed. Okay, Gehazi has this battle with greed. Naaman's struggle was pride. Gehazi's problem is greed. And Gehazi doesn't like Naaman getting off so easy. This guy was a sinner. This guy was an enemy of God's people. This guy led armies that opposed God's people, successfully raided, took slave girls, brought them back, and gave them to their wives, right? That's what this guy did. He should be punished. I don't want him getting off scot-free. I want him to pay, and, and that is his excuse. But when he brought it back, he didn't hand the money to Elisha, saying, you know what, you let him off too easy, here's the money. He takes it and he hides it at home, meaning who's getting the money? Yeah. So righteous indignation is his excuse that covers his greedy actions. 
And I don't care how much he could try to justify the wrong he did. Greed was his motivation, and it is the temptation uh, that is there. And, and it's funny how we can use one thing to justify another. Here's why I don't like this, and that's what I'm going to tell everybody, when in reality, I just don't like it. Right? Or, or it's because I'm getting something out of it or, or something like that. We do that a lot uh, if we're being honest with ourselves. He kept the silver for himself. His sense of justice helped him justify it, uh, but at the bottom of it, he just wanted money. He wanted to get it, and Naaman gladly gave it. Two talents of silver. I mean, going back to the value, the earlier math, two talents of silver is $39,578.11. It's about 11% of what Naaman was willing to give. Or no, it's about 1.1% of, of what name was, was 1%. It's a pittance compared to what he was willing to give. And Gehazi takes that. And, and Naaman, he's, yeah, he, did, he was going to give it all. Gehazi's letting him off light. It's not a big problem for him. But for Gehazi, a guy who made a shekel a day, if he made that much, that's 20 years worth of money. <laughs> it's like, you know, I, I don't care what Bill Gates or Donald Trump tithes. <laughs> <laughs> if they tithe, it's a lot more than what I make, and, and it would be wrong of me to covet it, right? Uh, but for a guy who made that little, it was a huge amount of money, and he took it home, and he hid it. In verses 25 to 27, we find the price that Gehazi paid for that, right? Verses 25 and 27. He went in and stood before his master, Elisha, and Elisha said to him, Where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, Oh, your servant went nowhere. <laughs> Never lie to a prophet. <laughs> but he said to him, Did not my heart go when, go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Why is it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards? He must be reading Gehazi's mind, what he wants to do with the money. Uh, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants. Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence a leper like snow. And we find this terrible price that Gehazi had to pay. He was made a leper, not just him, uh, but his descendants, uh, you, to you and to your descendants forever. What an incredible price Gehazi had to pay. And you go, well, wait a minute, but Gehazi was a good guy. He made one little mistake, and he pays this terrible price. Naaman was a bad guy. He did all these terrible things. He did one thing right. Why? That's not fair. Why is the standard so much more for God's people? And I think the answer is God's expectations. God expects so little of a sinner. If you're a sinner, you're a sinner, right? God doesn't expect a lot of sinners. He asks one thing, to humble yourself and submit to him. Nothing great no, nothing impressive, no money. If it was, you could claim some kind of credit for yourself in coming to him in the salvation you're coming. If you are thinking of becoming a Christian, if you have not come to Christ yet, you're just thinking about it, and, and you're afraid of the cost, you're afraid of what you will have to give up, you're afraid of what God will demand of you, understand he doesn't demand anything but that willingness to submit to him but that willingness to tell him, I need you. Salvation is a free gift. We have a cross up here because it's, that's where the price was paid, right? The cross represents the price of sin paid. Jesus, victorious. He's off the cross because he's victorious. The price is paid. He doesn't need to pay it anymore. It's a done deal. You don't have to, to do anything. You couldn't do anything. Salvation is a free gift already paid for. You don't have to do anything but yield to him. But for the saint, 
<laughs> you go, well, that sounds like double talk. No, it's, it's not. God expects a lot of, of the saint. Let me read for you a passage from Luke chapter 12. The, the, the passage is familiar, some of it more than other. Luke 12, verses 42 through 48. Jesus is speaking a parable, and he's talking about his servants, those he leaves with something to do. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will, he will uh, set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself... My master is delaying in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him to pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and deserved, deserved a beating will receive a light beating. And here is the phrase, everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. Gehazi was a servant, right? You say, well, that's not much. Well, he was more than a servant of Elisha. He was a servant of God. He was God's servant. He had potential for great reward. Not on this planet. You don't get rich being a prophet's servant, Right? At least unless prophets made a lot more money back then than they do today. Right? You don't get rich here being a prophet servant, but the reward anticipated is great. But with the potential for great reward comes expectations. And, and to, of whom much is given, much is required. And so we come back to 1 Peter, our scripture reading for today. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's stating the time of reward at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. <laughs> Those things that once drove you. Those things that once were most valuable to you those things that once were most meaningful. He says, don't be driven by those things. He only has to say it because we need to be reminded because we want to do it. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Holy means pure, not divided. In other words, don't be driven by this and Christ. Don't be driven by this, this, and your desire to please God. He says, be holy. Have one overriding desire. Everything else is servant to that. God, uh, as it is written, um, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you was holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Sometimes I call it a double standard. You know, me up here, I'll say that. God asks his people to become like him. God asks his people to reflect him. 
He doesn't ask the sinner to reflect him. The sinner's a sinner. He reflects sin. God's people reflect God. We, they should see him when they see us. God asks a lot of a saint. Uh, but the rewards are great. Much greater than those offered by silver and gold. And you could ask Gehazi, and he'd be glad to tell you uh, the truth of that. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the rewards that you give us. Lord, help us to strive after those rewards that are of eternal value, that will never fade away, that cannot rust, that will not rot, that will not be stolen. Lord, let us trust in you and your provision. Let us be honest and faithful and dedicated to you. And, and Father, if there is any here who has not yet trusted you as Savior, and, and by hearing you today recognizes that need, I ask you to bless them with the courage to confess with their mouths Jesus is Lord and believe in their hearts God raised him from the dead and turn and be saved. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.